0: It's amazing how much can happen, how deep we can go in four days. Sometimes four days actually one day can feel like a long, long time. But and it comes and goes pretty fast. So please take a few moments and just reflect it back when you first arrived. And for those of you who've done a lot of retreats and had some history. Maybe you had some expectation. You knew, of course, we don't really know what to expect. But you had some idea of what goes on in retreats. And and a number of people have shared for whom it was the first retreat. Some people came here pretty nervous. At least two or three people told me they walked in the door just wondering, what am I doing here? (laughs) So now you've done it. Now you know. That's always inspiring to me um, when we see what can happen in just a few days, but when we really put ourselves wholeheartedly into this practice, focusing really all in one direction, what can happen. And so tomorrow we'll be leaving and heading back to you know, whatever our life situations are. And it's gonna vary tremendously for some people, maybe going back to situations they, they're excited, happy about, looking forward to. And I'm sure there are plenty of us who are going back into situations that may be quite stressful or difficult in some way, or maybe in many ways. So it's gonna be, be different for all of us. So just noticing how that is for you So one of the things to reflect on, I want to talk about tonight is, as we transition and moving into daily life, Bob and I will each say a little bit. You know, how do we carry the practice with us? How do we keep the Dharma alive in our lives? So The first thing I'd like to ask you to reflect on, this is going to be a very short reflection, is just a simple question. what do you want your life to be about in the deepest or highest sense? What's it all about? What do you want it to, all, to be all about? That's a big question. So you can spend as much time as you want later reflecting on that. It may be... Just when you hear those words, maybe, even if it's not verbal in your mind, you may have a, an intuitive, you may know. Maybe you don't, so just notice. It's an important question. So often, for all of us, the pressing needs of our lives, they're strong forces and they take a lot of our time and they pull us in different directions. Um, One of the reasons for taking time out from our normal lives and coming into a special rarefied environment such as this is so that we can, for, for some period of time, set aside all those forces and pulls because it can be difficult um, when there are a lot of demands on us. Sometimes the demands, of course, um, aren't necessarily real, but created by our own minds. And so I think one of the things that can really help us, maybe one of the most important things, is, which I mentioned before, is getting as clear as we can on our intention. We all had an intention coming into this retreat. I've come to lots of retreats where the teacher would say, as we, as we entered the retreat, well, take some time to reflect on what your intention is and or your motivation. And sometimes it's like, well, I, I don't know. I, it wasn't clear. So it may not always be clear, but we all came here May have been conscious or not so conscious with some intention, some motivation for coming here. And so as we head back into our lives, keeping in mind the question that I posed, what do you want your life to be about in the deepest or highest sense? Then let that inform as we get in touch with setting an intention. Um, and i should say when when i when i say when i ask you to reflect on what you want your life to be about in the deepest or highest sense i wasn't i didn't have in mind what it looked like from the outside although you know that's maybe part of it for you i was particularly thinking more for the inside but actually maybe it's that's that's not how it how it is for you. So it's going to be different for each of us. As you're reflecting on this important question, the only thing I request is that you consider carefully and deeply the Buddhist teachings that we've been talking about this whole four days together. Teachings on the three characteristics of impermanence, that knowing that it was just the nature of things to arise and pass away, and right, things change. That there's a, this dukkha, this unsatisfying quality to even getting what we want, precisely because things don't last forever. Even if you could get it, we talked about this the other day. And um, I thought today, you know, was very powerful this morning for many of us, and including Bob and myself, uh, reflections on death and. You know, it always brings up a lot for people, naturally so. And so whatever has been cooking for you on that, maybe it's settled down now, but things may have been stirred up. Um, Letting all of this inform the choices we make, at least in our attitude. Sometimes we don't have certain, you know, we may have certain responsibilities or in what it looks like in our lives. You know, if you have, A job and children or whatever your situation is, um, you know, that takes a certain amount of our time, sure. So letting all that inform the choices. And of course, um, I think it's understandable that um, here on a Dharma retreat, it would be understandable that I guess it is a little arrogant of me to have an opinion about what your the uh, highest aspiration should be in your life, but since my highest aspiration is to d- deepen in these beautiful dharma qualities, to live as deeply as I can from a place of wisdom and clarity and love and all of these dharma qualities. So that's a real aspiration. I'm guessing, assuming that for most or all of us, or that's at least part of it for you, or you wouldn't be in a place like this. You know, if 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 you want to improve your, I don't know, your golf game, you hang out with the golf club, right? Which would be a great thing to do. You wouldn't go hang out with the people who are into dog shows, because, <laughs> which is a fine thing. I'm not, you know, I'm just trying to make a point. I, I think that might be kind of fun to, to I've been, if you've ever been to dog shows. Uh, I'm not into them, but I've been to them. And it's kind of cool, and they're really into it, and they all the dogs. And But my point is, that would be good for pursuing your love of dog, show dogs, but it, would, <laughs> it wouldn't do a thing for your golf game. (laughs) Similarly, and so, you know, we come to a place like this because it's really about one thing, right? This liberation or freedom in the midst of the human condition. You know, this question we've been posing for four days, is it actually possible in the midst of just the way things are, to come to some, to approach life not from the point of view of dilemma, but actually from the point of view of freedom and peace. And not just as a nice idea, but as actual lived reality. So that's what a place like this is about. So I'm hoping, assuming, guessing that that will at least be a part of what comes up for you? The importance of intention cannot be overstated, and especially when things get challenging. So it's easy to have your heart open, it may not feel like it, but certainly if you meditate enough, you will have some experiences where the heart's just open in love. It's kind of has this, it feels unconditional. And, and radiant. Right? It's easy to do that when you're in a beautiful, quiet place and your mind is settled down and you feel loving. Right? So I have an aspiration, and this is a real aspiration I have, uh, to live in a way so that no living being is ever shut out of my heart. That's a real aspiration I have. And so I can Uh, remember my aspiration and my intention during all the many times I get to bump up against the places where there's plenty of work still to be done. All the places where life is showing me, you know, so, you know, somebody does something and it really bothers me and I'm angry, say, for example. In the moment when that happens, The actual experience, right? There's a there's a force, there's an energy. Maybe I might not actually want in that moment. I want to shut them out of my heart. I don't want to include them in. Right? And there's a power there, and it can color our perception. And depending on the story, you know, I'm right and they're wrong, and you know, why did they do this? And I'm going to get them, or whatever it is. that's a real strong power that we have to have a lot of respect. So whatever, I'm using that example, we can think of any aspect of our lives. When the, when the energy behind anything is strong, we better be very respectful. And then that's when I need the touchstone. I need to remember, oh, Gee, you know, you have this aspiration that no being is uh, shut out of your heart, and all it takes is one driver to cut you off in traffic, and you remember why they—it's a good thing they don't let us carry bazookas in our cars. (laughs) I don't know if they call them bazookas now for you younger
1: ones,
0: (laughs) right? Machine guns in our cars. Some people do carry machine guns in their cars. (laughs) Have to be careful, right? Gee, where where'd your big uh, aspiration go now? So then I have to remember, oh yeah, if that's really my deepest intention and my highest aspiration, then even when the, the going gets rough or it's the, the energy is going in the other direction, I need to go back to my deepest intention and aspiration and hold on to that, and then that's what can carry me when all the forces are going in the other direction. Right? So, give you another example I love the old cowboy movies. love them <laughs> I, <laughs> I grew up watching them with my dad those in World War II movies. he was an infantryman in World War II at the Battle of the Bulge and it was a big deal so we grew up watching I was born grew up in the '50s and that's what they had the best World War II in the the old, the golden age of the Western. You know, the gunslingers and all that, and I don't know if it's politically correct to like them because we kind of stole the land from the Native Americans, and, but the truth is, I love them. I love the bad ones that I've even seen three times. So. What happens? I don't really watch lot TV, but I can remember times when it's Sunday night. It's late. I'm tired, too tired to do anything, too tired to read. I have to get up and go to work in the morning. I think I'll turn on the TV and um, see if there's something just to kind of turn my brain off for a little while, flipping around. One of these obscure channels, there it is, old. <laughs> Western. And I find myself sitting there at two in the morning. I've, it's not any good. I have seen it three times. And the force is there watching it. And I'm even saying to myself, you know, Richard. Um, you're gonna to be too tired to meditate in the morning, if you watch this thing. And also, and I try all these tricks of um, like, it's not even really happening, it's just a set. <laughs> and there's really, guys. it's like when we look deeper in the body and see what's really going on. There's really cameras, and they're yelling action, and you know they're not really shooting each other, and, <laughs> and to try to cut the spell. <laughs> and I get to bed at 3.30. I don't meditate the next day. So. That's a lot of force. I have to be respectful. Then over time, I started to realize, oh yeah, wait a minute, this is a real force here. And you know, I'm being a little humorous, but it really that force. That's a re- that's an example of a real force. So, if it's important to me, if if say for example, sitting meditation practice is important to me. And we all know how challenging it can be to keep a practice up in daily life. And let's just you know, it's not you. You're not a screw up. You're not too lazy. And it's not like everybody's doing it, but you know you just can't do it, and you're dissatisfied, and you're never going to really have a meditation practice in life. Most people don't keep up that. Let's, I'm just saying it out here. Most Dharma people I know they don't have that much of a daily meditation practice. A lot do, but I think more than 50% don't. It's hard. There's a lot of things pulling you. There's Westerns. <laughs> <laughs> right? There's the internet. There's all the forces that pull us. And so what I want to, the reason I'm mentioning this is because if we can get in touch with what's important and try to set some priority to things, and so it's not always easy to do. Then, when those forces are there, first of all, if we can bring some mindfulness to the situation, we can be more clear is it something that really is important, you know, like getting your kids fed into school or going to work and, or exercising or wh- whatever that is, you know, that, that's right, we want to take care of our lives. And is it something that really is pulling me that I really want to do, but you know what, in this big scheme of things, it's actually a lower priority? Am I going to let that define how I spent that time? And you know what the answer is? Sometimes it is going to win and pull us, because these are strong forces. Again, it's not personal to you. This is how it is for human beings, right? But sometimes we remember our intention, our aspiration, and we consciously reflect on it, get back in touch with it, and then even in the face of some of these, you know, you really do want to go to the say the golf group, which sounds like a, maybe a nice thing to do, hang out with your friends, and you know, golf could be, and it's relaxing, and well, exercise, but um, making the choices instead of having the force of something choose us. So, just a few more things. I got a, a note and I would like to answer it in front of the whole group. It wasn't signed, so um, uh, I couldn't answer it personally anyway. It says, is it possible to be mindful all of the time without meditating? Somewhat, let me pause there, actually. We actually know the answer to this. It's not possible to be mindful all the time when you are meditating. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that answered that question. <laughs> Actually, I remember, this reminds me of something I haven't thought of. It was, you know, they have this three-month retreat in the fall here. I was sitting, I think, six weeks of that here, in, in this hall, and I think Michelle was up as the teacher, and I was back in there somewhere, and, and, you know, they had the Q&A time in the morning, raised my hand, and I said, you know, I've been here for a month meditating, and I said, I can't even make it from getting up from my seat to the lunch line. In perfect mindfulness, I have an intention and then whatever, you know, there's something about the food or there's some person I'm attracted to or I'm remembering and next thing you know, I'm off in the gone again. A month of meditating and I literally take an intention and I can't make it to the food line in perfect mindfulness. And so I was in despair and I said, so it really makes me wanna just give up because if I'm here and I can't even do this one simple thing, it's hopeless <laughs> in life. And that's how I felt. And she gave me this great answer and she said, she said, she was she not going for a laugh or anything, but she just said, you know, though what you're pointing to is right, it is too much to think like that. But it's the wrong, it's the wrong attitude it's not about how perfectly we're, in mindf- we're mindful. What it's about is, when you're awake, use the time the best you can. And when you're gone, matter of fact, let me just ask the question, it's a rhetorical question. Well, you can actually answer. When, so we're here meditating, just in, during the silent sits. And what is the, instru- so you say so you're being with your breath. What is the instruction we give when You forget to be with your breath. You've gotten lost again, and you forget the breath. What's the instruction we give? Come back. back? That's how everybody answers, but it's a trick question. When you're gone, there is no instruction. You're gone, and you don't even know it. The instruction kicks in when you're already back. You're already back when we say come back to the breath. When you're gone, whether it's on retreat and in daily life, Don't worry about it. You can't do anything about it anyway. (laughs) Don't worry. Now, it is true that if the conditioned patterns of our mind are such that when we're not mindful, then we happen to have certain react, because then we'll be reacting to things rather than just responding. If when we're not mindful and we're on automatic pilot and we're reacting, if it's such that in certain situations, we create suffering. Well, it's, then that's when we need a lot of compassion for ourselves for those times when that's going to happen. Right? And part of what we're doing here is shifting the conditioned patterns of our mind. And so we're heading in a wholesome direction. But still, there'll be times when you know, we create suffering. We're human beings. So the best you can. We, but really, right? you get the point. What? Don't worry about it. When you, and, and, and it's great news. Because, and you don't have to make a stress about it and when you're back and mindful you're here so you don't have to struggle to be here just be present use your time remembering your aspiration and your intention and the skills and the tools that we're learning and then you're gone be gone you'll wake up no struggle be at ease you know you make a little effort to keep the mindfulness and everything and just work the best you can and that's the answer the rest of his question was Someone I, so he says, is it possibly mindful all the time? Someone I know who took the basic MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction class that I took, says he is mindful at work, sailing, et cetera. So whoever wrote this, I think what this person was saying was is that they are practicing. I don't think they were making a statement that they're now perfectly mindful all the time. I'm assuming they, they wouldn't, you know but um, that they are trying to the best they can incorporate mindfulness into all their daily lives. So I think that's the answer to that question. So I thought that was a good one for for us here. So the last piece I want to talk about then is um, one of the things that's going to happen for those of you, a number of people, many of you have been deepening in your meditation. And that often means you know, the concentration, the settling in, the stillness comes. It doesn't come for everyone on every retreat. So there's some retreats where it just doesn't happen much. But I think most people have had some settling in. And one of the things that you'll find is, is that when you go back into daily life, um, the retreat level of stillness will fade. And even keeping up um, daily life meditation, now over time, you, through the course of a lifetime, it can continue deepening, and the distinction between daily life and retreats can, it isn't so distinct. So that uh, certainly can happen and does happen. But in general, we come into retreats, we, we really go deep, we come out. We're, we're back to everyday, what I call everyday street consciousness, right? So we don't need to worry about that. I, I remember uh, one of my very first retreats, a 10-day, I had gotten uh, very concentrated, it was blissful and still, and my mind was clear. And they'd spent all week you know, talking about non-clinging. And then as I'm driving away, I remember in my car sobbing, clinging worse than ever <laughs> to the beautiful meditative states I was about to lose. <laughs> so we wanna watch out. This is just how it is. We don't have to be in those kind of meditative states to still practice. It'll just look differently. You'll have a different level of mindfulness and a different degree of concentration. That's all. But you're still practicing four foundations of mindfulness. Because even if you don't have much mindfulness, or if you're not that, if your mind's easily distracted, you don't have much concentration. In a moment, something happens. Everything's there: Vedna, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. There's states of the mind and heart, body. Awareness. You know, you find yourself reacting and uh, creating, clinging and craving. Four noble truths right there. Second noble truth, craving, because of, you know, conditioned by pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, which gives rise to the first noble truth, clinging. It, it's all right there. So we're always practicing four foundations of mindfulness. It just looks uh, different in daily life than it may look here. That's all. And so we can find that combination to be diligent the best we can, but not get all tense about, oh, I've gotta be some certain way, and keeping that idea of ease and relaxation the best we can, and remembering back, which has really become one of my favorite teachings from Meher Baba, the best you can, and some circumstances I realize don't, don't lend themselves to this, so I wanna be respectful of that, but for so many times when we create suffering, don't worry, be happy. Don't judge by how good or bad you think you're doing it. If you're going to ignore the Buddha's advice and judge yourself and compare with others, then remember what I said the other day, a much more deep, authentic way to judge you is by your intention. Even if you fall flat on your face a thousand times, you get up again and you do the best you can. So, um, so thank you.
1: It's doing the best that you can. I'll take that with me. The teachings of the Buddha can be really summed up in two words: insight and compassion. And we are working in cultivating both of these qualities. I loved Richard's speaking of such uh, a way of holding our practice with such kindness when we leave the retreat. And it really is, uh, (laughs) I never heard it worded quite like the way that Richard just named it. When you're not there, I mean, you you can't like bring it back. (laughs) It's gone. And so the operative is that you're back again, and you're here. And that's where we start. Simple equation, the moment that you realize that you are not present, you are. It's that close and that far at times. But it's starting from where we are, and that's what one of the wonderful things about this practice is, is that it begins right now. And now is any time, Any time we can begin this practice. Rumi has inscribed on his tombstone one of his poems. It was inscribed on his tombstones. and says, Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, 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 even if you've broken your vow a thousand million times. Come, come yet again. Come, ours is not a caravan of despair. I love that invitation. This is the invitation of the Dharma. Always there. Love is always here. This is not a caravan of despair. It's a caravan of heart and compassion and insight. My teacher, Tom Puluseto, who used to say, if you know that you are angry, you are gaining knowledge. If you don't know that you're angry, you're accumulating more ignorance. If you know that you are clinging, you are gaining knowledge. If you don't know that you're clinging, you're accumulating ignorance. On and on it would go. The operative word was knowing. If you know, you're gaining knowledge. This knowing awareness will grow our mindfulness muscle. Well, true confessions, so I like science fiction. Late at night, Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> X-Files. The Westerns were all right, but you know. So there's those temptations. And you know, can, I, can, I, can we hold those? our little things that we do with kindness and compassion. This voice that keeps on saying, you're terrible, <laughs> is really getting heavy. A friend of mine, this happened to him. I don't know if around here, but in California, there is occasionally some gas stations that are one way. You have to enter in one way and go out one way. Unbeknownst to him, he pulled into a gas station and he entered in the wrong way and he caused a bottleneck and he felt terrible and he's backing in and out and and people are waiting and it's just this whole log jam and he finally gets uh he finally gets his car out and there's this old couple that are just waiting very patiently and he finally get next to him and he rolls down the window and they roll down their window and he starts apologizing profusely and and the old guy's got kind of a twinkle in his eye, and he's just looking at him, and goes, you're terrible, you're terrible, you're really terrible. Then he starts laughing, ha ha ha. <laughs> and that guy was so wise. He, did, he didn't have to say anything bad to my friend Steve, because, you know, we do this to ourselves. You're terrible. So he could see right through my friend Steve, who was so embarrassed and was feeling humiliated, and just made fun, you're terrible lighten up his life. Those are ways that we can be self-compassionate. Tara Brach talks about this amnesia or trance that we can fall ourselves into of unworthiness, feeling flawed. So let our practice grow with Kindness. We really want to make peace in this world, let it begin inside me. This is that old, beautiful folk song. And this work of practice, as you know here, is some of the most difficult of works, and it is of some of the most noblest of works. And there may come a point in your life where you realize what else is there to do. And So this work that we have all been doing, that we've all been doing, is incredibly difficult at times. I mean, it's very raw in here, as we experienced. As we open to the practice, everything becomes a facet for us to be aware of and what is going on inside us. And as Richard was saying with these four foundations, that this practice does continue outside of the retreat after in my life having been in and out of retreats in and out of the monasteries so many times it finally occurred to me that my life is the retreat now i'm not saying this to i mean i, I also want to back up and say i think there is nothing like intensive retreat practice we in it we've been in it there's nothing quite like it but at the same time may we really understand that our life is the retreat and if we really get that then everything that comes up in our life is the practice and 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 how do we begin to work with showing up in our lives mindfulness is not like kind of sitting in some place with their hands up in the air and everything just copacetic <laughs> like part of our practice is really the integration of our ego integration of ourselves showing up in such a way of we're living with integrity, living with kindness, cleaning up the dishes, mowing the lawn, working with our relationships, our interpersonal relationships that we have with others. And no doubt we've been working in a very intrapersonal level here, working in ourselves. But this is also applying the mindfulness into, we'll say, the interpersonal or the interrelational and in how we relate and be with others. This is where the rubber meets the road of the practice, bringing this practice into our lives. Well, I got a question that says, is it permissible or even skillful to hug someone spontaneously? <laughs> <laughs> when We usually get these types of notes when when our hearts begin to break open, there's just this feeling like you love everybody. You want to just hug everyone. <laughs> but our senses probably don't do that, please, because <laughs> we don't know where that person's space is, and so we can give them our, um, a hug from our hearts. But well, I, I know that feeling can um, in our retreat culture, like it, it's, it's actually an incredibly beautiful culture. It's so respectful. We're really trying to really be respectful with each other, giving our silence and our space. And yet, in the silence and in the space, there's such a sense of community at times. So it's a very beautiful culture. got another question about... Um, I understand that the body returns to the elements, to the earth, the water, the air, the fire. But where where does consciousness go? (laughs) Anybody have an answer? (laughs) So that's the question perhaps not to sit with or to sit with. I mean, this is the perennial question. Who am I? Ramana Maharshi, the great saint of India. This was his question. And this question came about, this is supposedly true, when he was 16 years old, he had that some Wega experience where he realized that he was going to die. And it was paralyzing. And it's, it, the story says that he lied on the floor for three days. And... He was shaken to the core. And this question arose, who am I? This is the question, the perennial question for all of our journeys. Buddhist psychology could respond to that question, but in the sake of brevity, but also for the sake of working with our own direct experience. I want to invite who asked that to sit with that do the practice to deepen. Maybe we begin to discover at times who I am not. So we've had a lot of experiences here. And they will continue. An old saying is that the, the retreat is not over until it is over. And we still have our practice to go. So I know that there is some energy of, I mean, obviously we're, we're heading home tomorrow and the managers have come and given their talks for departure. But making use of this time. So let's just uh, sit for a minute, and then we're going to maybe shift to a little bit of some question and answers, and and then some walking practice. It's going to be a little different than um, maybe on the schedule. You saw a small and large group, and Richard and I discussed this and thought we would just um, have a short Q&A, but we'll just sit for a minute or two now.